This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Wow, what a start to the new year. Here we are, we're in March and the first two months have been record setting. I'm going to talk more about what's going on in the GTA, Vancouver, and Calgary markets in a minute. But first, I want to tell you that we're going to have a few guests joining us today, and you definitely want to tune into the show the entire hour. I've got Mark Wiseletter, and he is a Toronto real estate lawyer, and we're going to be talking about what you need to know when buying a property. Hey, is there a good day to buy? Is there a good day to close? Well, Mark's going to fill us in on all sorts of information, so make sure you stay tuned for that. And later in the hour, we're going to be talking to a home inspector, Gary Hurd. And, you know, home inspections are one of those things that you can get good and bad home inspectors, just like good and bad realtors, as well as good and bad lawyers. You know what, folks? The one thing you've got to do is make sure you go with the professionals, and definitely Gary is that. And we're going to talk about what you should be looking for during your home inspection. But first, one of the things about being in the media all the time and talking about real estate, you know, everybody's sitting there saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling, it can't keep going, but yet we keep chugging along. And it is defying and I'm going to, I won't even call them real estate experts because it's not the real estate experts have been speculating that we're going to have a falling market. Things are going to blow up. Things are going to fall apart. Those aren't the people, you know, that I, I typically want to listen to. I want to listen to the people that are actually living and breathing the real estate market. And so far they've been bang on, you know, in the beginning of the year, I was telling everybody, I think the market's going to continue to chug along. I think we're going to see some increases. But even I did not expect that February would set the record that it did. Can you believe this? 7,621 sales in the GTA in the month of February. Folks, that is absolutely staggering. That is by far a record in February. And when we see numbers like this, we say, okay, can it continue? Well, the funny thing is, is that when the government implemented the newest rule for your down payment to be increased from 5% to 10%, everything north of $500,000 to $999,000, we thought that might take a little steam out of the market, but it hasn't. You know, we did see an upsurge up until the 15th of the month, but after that, it still kept going. And the numbers, again, coming through the average price in Toronto, in the GTA, 719,843. You know, interestingly enough, again, prices are up. We've got detached homes up 20%. As far as number of sales, we've got, you know, semi-detached number of sales are up. Everything is up. We've got a really good marketplace. And again, so many naysayers are sitting there saying to us, hey, how can it continue? Well, when we take a look at that number of sales, we have to start calculating, okay, what does that mean to a marketplace? Is there really that many people coming into the Toronto area to buy? And the matter of fact, there is. This is the thing. We've got a huge immigration you know, group of people coming in, large immigrants. Then we also have people that are buying out of country because our dollar is low. And then we've got the pent-up demand of you and I still looking to find that perfect property for our family. Now, again, condominium market is the one that lags all of them. Now, it still is up, but it is the one number that is not staggering. Again, we know that condos are still doing well enough. They're not going backwards. 
but it's the supply and demand. And there is very little inventory in the market. And when that happens, anything that comes into the market gets eaten up right away. So we've seen consistency and it's year after year. And again, growth is up. March, again, is going to be a solid month. What I'm really wondering is, is what's going to happen in April and May? Our typical surge is the spring market, April, May, and June, of course, is normally the biggest number of sales throughout the year. Will this pace continue? You know what? Stay tuned every single week, and I'll be talking about the market on a regular basis so we know where the numbers are and what we can expect. But hey, listen, one of the things that I found interesting this week was that they released some of the numbers in Calgary. And everybody knows Calgary is taking a beating because of the oil industry. Now, this is this was kind of the number that made me laugh, though, is and and, and no offense to the Calgary, you know, uh, marketplace, because it's a it's a great area to live. I've been out there. You know, I really like it. But when they turn around and say that 38 homes over a million dollars sold in the month of February. I'm sorry, I kind of chuckle about that because that was like a good morning in Toronto. You know, 38 properties over a million dollars sold. Now, what this did though was this kind of skewed the averages because right now we know that the Calgary market had dropped a little and we saw a decrease and it went down by about three, three and a half percent. But yet now, the, the median price has actually gone up because a few people are bailing out of the more expensive homes. So prices are actually down a little in Calgary. Volume is down in Calgary, but yet the average sale price went up. And that's probably because some of the higher prices are selling. Now, of course, Vancouver is chugging along. It is doing exceptionally well, just like uh, the Toronto market. And, you know, we've always talked about this here at Simply Real Estate. We always talk about the fact that we now are world-class cities. So this folks, is just the fact that we're actually getting our feet wet in the world-class market. I got to tell you, I'm not afraid of what's going on in Toronto area. You know, I keep my eyes always on the condo pulse because that's the one that I think I probably have the greatest concern about. Earlier in the week, I was on with Jerry Agar and we were talking about a proposal that a few people were talking about in the media about having schools actually built in condominiums. And, you know, I had to pipe in on this because I think it's a great idea. I think that if there are some developers out there and, you know, they're looking to build in certain areas, I believe that if they're going to build up, you know, you can have your commercial component, which is typically your, your Starbucks, your Tim Hortons on the main floor, a couple of shops and stores, you know, they take up typically two or three floors. You know, you could throw a school component for the next two to three floors. And then on top of that, you've got the rest of your condominiums. Last year, we were talking also about the fact that we've got some schools that are completely run down, barely occupied, needs millions of dollars worth of repairs. And, you know, I threw into the mix that, hey, listen, why not turn around and let a developer buy it? But with the proviso that they would have to either fix some of the other ailing schools. But what about the suggestion now that they have to build a school in their condominium on the property and still allocate so much land for the kids to play in? You know what? Leave a little bit of a field out there. Let the kids have a track or something. But at the same time, have the condo component put in force. Listen, it's a win-win because now the school board will turn around and have you know, a school area that they're just leasing or they've got a lease back or they have a lifetime lease on it because of the deal that they worked out with the developer. The developer has to be a prudent landlord, make sure everything's taken care of. It's a win-win. It's a good investment for the landlord, great investment for the school board because now they're getting new schools being built and they're utilizing actually the tax dollars, which they can now get out from the sale to the developer. 
I think it's something that should be looked at quite heavily. I'd love to uh, to weigh in on it. If any of the school boards or the developers want to talk about it, you know where to reach me. You can always reach me at thesimpleinvestor.com, and I'm happy to chat about that. You can reach me at 905-812-2524. Of course, one of the other things that we've got coming up at the end of the month is our Simple Seminar. Better register today. The play, It's actually filling up on March the 30th at 7 p.m., I had mentioned a little bit earlier that we're going to have a special guest on with us. And when we talk about real estate, Mark is a very well-respected lawyer. He holds a lot of courses. He does a lot of education. He's a columnist. He's an author. It is Mark Weisletter, and he is from torontorealestatelawyers.ca. And Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Todd. It's a pleasure to be with you. One of the things that I think everybody is well aware in the real estate industry, you know, you have your good professionals, your bad professionals, or people that, you know, maybe not be doing the job properly. But one thing that we've always encouraged is make sure you have a good real estate lawyer. What makes a good real estate lawyer? Well, number one, somebody who practices primarily 100% in the business. You know, you've got to be uh, working with the lenders. You have to have systems in place because it can get very uh, stressful on a day of closing. So you want to make sure you've got a lawyer that is going to protect you from the time you sign your contract all the way to the closing date so you can have peace of mind. Because, you know, uh, the whole buying and selling process is very stressful for people, and you just need to have someone that can handle any issue that comes up. I believe that lawyers should get involved even before someone goes out and buys a property. Now, I, I know that's contrary f- for what most realtors believe. You know, they, they believe that they can control it all. But what's your take on it? Are you, are you able to, you know, give, give clients a checklist? Um, do you want to talk to the clients prior to an offer? I'm not saying that you have to prove everything, but really give them a lay of the land. Because realtors, of course, look at things one way. And of course, lawyers, we know, look at it at another way. What's your take on that? You know, because of the uh, emails, it is so simple to transfer a contract to a lawyer, and I, I, I've asked to do this a lot of times, where clients will just send me the, uh, the agreement uh, by email, and it's very simple for me to uh, review it, and just to make sure that uh, they are completely protected uh, in any situation. And I have to tell you, primarily in bidding wars, because as you know, uh, buyers under, are under tremendous pressure in bidding wars to make offers without any conditions. And so if I see an offer like that come in, I I will speak to this buyer and I'll say, have you considered, for example, having a home inspector come into that home before you make the offer? In other words, pay a home inspector, make sure you're getting the right house, and then you can make that offer without conditions and not worry about, you know, inheriting a disaster after closing. Now, a lot of buyers don't like that idea, but it makes a lot of sense in the long run. And so, and that's an example about a home inspection. I love the the direction we're going. We're going to go to a quick break, but hold that thought. Folks, stay with us, and we're going to talk more with Mark Weisletter as soon as we come back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now back to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Just before the break, I was talking with professional lawyer Mark Weisletter, and we're talking about the idea of buying a property and some of the process. And Mark, you were talking about multiple offers, the idea that perhaps having a home inspection just prior to putting in your offer 
is a good idea. I agree with you 100%. If, if we know that we're going into multiple offer situation, one of the things I would have always encouraged buyers to do is get a pre-inspection so you are not getting caught off guard. What is the next step that you think, especially when we talk about multiple offers? It happens so many times now in Toronto. What is some of the other advice that we can give our, yeah, our listeners? The other has to do with the money. Buyers will typically get pre-approved for financing before they make an offer. But then they start bidding because you get into a bidding war. And the difficulty is, Todd, that when, uh, let's say, a house gets bid up from 400 to 450, uh, and they win the bid at 450, well, then the bank is going to send in their appraiser. And if their appraiser says, you know what, this house isn't worth 450, it's only worth 420, now all of a sudden that mortgage is not going to get approved, and the buyer is going to have to come up with more money. And this happens more than you think. So my advice is never stretch yourself completely to the limit in a bidding war. Always have about 5% extra down payment in reserve just in case that happens. You know, Mark, I think that's probably some of the best advice that I can actually give our listeners is exactly what you said. And, you know, we try to be conservative, but of course, people get very passionate, as you know, when they're when they're in competition. And if they've lost, lost once or twice before, and then they think they've found the ultimate home, then they throw all caution to the wind. And of course, then come closing time, you as their lawyer trying to figure out how you're going to close this, you know, it makes your your job difficult as well, does it not? Yeah, of course. You know, and especially when all of a sudden, you know, problems start appearing. Because, you know, under the contract, unless there is substantial damage to a house before closing, you got to close. So unless there was a huge flood before closing, you've got to close. And if there are minor problems, you got to close, and then you're talking about small claims court. So it's much better to properly inspect the home before you put in that offer to make sure your financing is in order so that, you know, you are not going to have a problem with the money on the closing date. And I agree. That's one of the hardest things. It's one of the biggest and most uh, most stressful days of anyone's life, of course, is closing day. Folks, if you're just tuning in, I've got joining me with me, uh, lawyer Mark Weisletter from realestatelawyers.ca. We're talking about some of the process of buying a property and what people should be aware of. And, and Mark, you know, you, you, you've nailed down some things that I personally think are so important. One is never overspend. Make sure you're prepared. But Here's one of the things that I find also in the marketplace, and we deal with a lot of investment properties, but there's a lot of people nowadays, you know, they're hopping on the investment bandwagon. They think that they can be their own landlord. And when they go out to buy a property that's already tenanted, they don't know what to do. You know, they just say, you know, the, the owner says, oh, yeah, the tenant pays us rent in and don't worry, they'll pay you. What are some of the things that people should be aware of when buying an investment property that is currently tenanted? It's a, a very important question. Number one, it's not easy to be a landlord. And many uh, uh, buyers, investors, will invest the money, usually about 10% of the income, 8 to 10%, to hire a property manager. And one of the reasons that is a good idea is because do you really want to be, you know, you know, woken up in the middle of the night because somebody's toilet is not working? Or, um, you know, have to meet people late at night somewhere to pick up some rent that they, you know, have not paid you because they're late. When you have a third party, it makes life much easier for you. But you know what? 
Uh, some people still want to do it, but you have to understand that, that being a landlord is not easy. Uh, if there are tenants there, you're going to want to make sure that uh, you uh, receive a statement clearly just about the leases that have been signed, how much they're paying in rent, etc. cetera. Uh, it's not always easy to, to meet the tenants beforehand. I, I, so, you know, it's harder that way. The main thing is, is to try to view the place, see how they keep the place. So when before you make that offer, see if the units are clean. You know, if you see that the tenants are taking care of their apartments, then, you know, they're, they're probably going to take care after you buy. So that, to me, would be one of the most important things you can do, is check to see how they maintain their units. Now, once you become an owner and you have a little bit of control in selecting new tenants, that's where your homework becomes, because you've got to properly qualify every tenant. If you do that, then you're going to have good tenants that look after your properties for a long time. Well, Mark, you know, in, in that is some great advice for our listeners. One of the things that I have always made sure that people understand is that when you are buying an investment property, normally having some form of lease in writing or an example of deposits made on a regular basis, because of course the lenders also want to see these things, but you also want to see the consistency on how you're getting paid. And so I would imagine that that's part of the documentation you want to see as the, as the lawyer for a, somebody that's closing a property, make sure that the tenant's actually doing what they're supposed to do. That's right. And, you know, like I said, there's no substitute for going there. If you can talk to the tenants, that's always a great uh, idea because you get a, you, you'll get a real good sense about them. You know, you'll see if there are pets in the units because, you know, a lot of landlords have problems uh, with pets. Because, you know, uh, more damages happen uh, in the place. So these are things that you're going to want to check out before you take over a property. I think that's great advice. Again, always forming your own checklist, folks. Uh, when buying a property, you can see something on a listing or, or a realtor can turn around and tell you, oh, yeah, I think they pay about $1,000 a month rent. Unless you have it in writing, then you can't be sure. And meeting your actual tenant that is going to become your tenant in a, in a unit that's already, you know, occupied, one of the things I will always encourage people to do is make sure you get right from their mouths what they're paying, so that way you know. Mark, if you don't mind, if you can stay with us, we're going to come back. I want to talk to you also about buying brand new condos and also the idea of selling your home yourself. Joining me, of course, is Mark Wiseletter, and he's a real estate lawyer, and we are talking about real estate transactions. And when we come back, I want to talk more about buying a brand new condominium and some of the things that you need to know. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now back to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. It's been an interesting day so far. We've been talking with real estate lawyer Mark Wiseletter and a lot to do with, you know, the idea of what you should do prior to going through an offer process. You know, make sure you've got the right amount of money. Make sure you've got a home inspection. If you're going into multiple offers, make sure you have a pre-home inspection done. And of course, one of the topics that is huge in the Toronto area is buying a new condominium. And Mark, you know, your take on condominium offers. I mean, you know, I've, I've read my share of them, of course. I've worked with a lot of the builders. A lot of the escape clauses in place are 
for the builders for numerous reasons. What should people be watching for when they buy a brand new condominium? Great question, Todd. Let me start by saying this. Almost every new condominium agreement is the same. They're unfair. They're unfair in favor of the builder. The builder has the rights to extend the deal almost as long as they want. They have the right to make changes. They can change the square footage. They can change the finishings. They can flip the layouts. And so to me, the number one thing that a buyer can do is check the reputation of the builder. You've got to go look at other projects that they finished and then go to speak to the owners and say, hey, did they finish on time? Did they deliver what they promised? And did they fix what they were supposed to fix? That is the best research you can do. I, I was going to say, you know, but Mark, I got, I got to tell you, I, I almost felt like one of those fairy tales that I read my daughter from Disney when you were saying that, <laughs> doing it on time, fixing what they say they're going to fix. I, I mean, you and I both know in the industry, that's a really, really hard list to check off. Um, I think a lot of people's expectations, you know, they, they get excited about buying from these brochures. They, you know, they get sold at the sales center that this is the next greatest thing. But there are always disappointments in most of these condominium projects. But you have to also understand, Todd, that when you buy a brand new condominium, you have 10 days to change your mind. And you can change your mind for any reason. And that's what I encourage people to do during the 10 days, because they're going to send me the contract for review. And there are things that I'm going to review and explain, which I'll talk to you in a moment, but, because I can fix some things. But during those 10 days, that's when I say to them, go out to another project and do a little bit of due diligence. Now, uh, with the contract itself, the two things that people have to understand is, first of all, the HST rebate. So that when, if, if for example, you're buying a brand new condominium for 400000 uh, it's HST included. But that means that you're promising to move into the unit on closing. If you do not move into the unit and you're planning to rent it, well, then there's going to be an additional maybe twenty-five to 27000 that you're going to have to pay on closing, and then you're going to have to apply for that money back from the uh, Canada Revenue Agency after closing. So that's number one that people have to understand. The second is that Every new agreement comes with something called a Schedule B, B standing for boy, which are additional charges to that $400,000 purchase price. And people have to understand that because uh, this is all extra. And in my opinion, the total of all these charges should not exceed 1% to 2% of the purchase price. So there'll be things like the tarry-on warranty uh, enrollment, which could cost anywhere from uh, $600 to $1,200. There will be utility meter connections that you're going to have to pay extra for. But the biggest thing is something called levies. And this could be any increase in development charges that come against the builder uh, between the time the offer is signed and maybe three or four years down the road. So it's very important that a buyer get a cap right away, and this is something as a lawyer that I'll negotiate typically with the buyer, with these seller lawyers, a cap on these amounts so they know much more definitively exactly how much they're going to pay on closing. And you know what? I see a lot of builders that just provide this for buyers right in the sales office. And when I see that, when I see these caps, I'm able to say, well, this is a builder that knows what they're doing. They're giving you the caps up front. They're disclosing everything. 
so that you know pretty much well how much you're going to pay on closing. And to me, that's part of what goes into the reputation of a very good builder. Now, of course, when builders are putting up buildings, there are delays. You know, one of the things I've always encouraged clients in the past, and I always encourage listeners, don't always go and sell your your current existing residence, um, you know, a, a year ahead, unless you know that your builder is on time, they're up to date, but a lot of builders have written right in their agreements that they can delay closings. And what is the timing that they must give notice to people? Because this is so important when somebody's trying to take advantage, let's say, of a good real estate market to sell their property. Um, what, what, what is the delay process for most of the builders yeah. out there? Yeah, so you see, they have to, you know, they, there are times that are put right into the contract. So right in the contract, there are deadlines that are put in when they have to give sort of like the first notice of when the occupancy is expected. And then if they miss, they may have one or two extensions, but then the buyer can actually cancel the deal. So you have to start by looking in the contract. What is the outside date when they can give that notice for occupancy? Also, look and watch construction. You know, you can see for yourself, you know, builders, they want to close deals. They want to get the buildings built. You know, it's in their interest to get the buildings built and to move on and move forward. So uh, you're going to look for, uh, number one, when are they starting construction? Because then you can also get an idea of when it should finish. But more importantly, check your agreement first to see what are the outside dates that they can grant possession. And so, and these can go out several years. I, You know, I'm not a big fan of selling my place without knowing unless you have you know, another place you can live in the meantime. So, uh, you know, if the market's great and you're not sure, and even if you have to wait three or four months, it still may not be a bad idea to get a short-term rental. At least your money's in the bank and you're waiting to move in when the building is ready. Excellent. You know, that's all good advice. And I think that if our listeners uh, could, you know, take that to heart, I would give, I would tell you, it's exactly what I've always told people, especially make sure you have a backup plan where to live. If you get a delay, if you want to take uh, advantage of a hot market, then by all means, you know, sell your property, but know that you could be waiting. It, they don't always nail the date. Now, Mark, you know, just a quick question, and, I, and, and we've got just a couple of minutes to touch on it. Somebody wants to sell their property themselves. Best thing for them to do when dealing with a lawyer. If you're selling a property by yourself, I caution you because, uh, you know, in most cases, People do it because they think they're saving all this real estate commission. You have to understand that every buyer that comes in is going to say, hey, you're saving this real estate commission. you got to split it with me. So all of a sudden, whatever you think you're saving, it's cut in half. And um, many buyers uh, do not like to participate in a bidding war when there's no realtors involved. And that's because they're afraid that the seller is going to just tell the other buyer how much... Um, the other bids are four. And so there's, they're very suspicious about the process. So, you know, to me, when you are considering selling by yourself, remember that. You know, also lenders are going to be suspicious, and they're going to have their own extra appraisals done to make sure it was a fair price. And also, you have to understand, you're going to get calls in the middle of the night, showings, <laughs> and all this other stuff. So yeah. if you are going to do it, before you sign any contract, you really should have a lawyer look at it so that they can tell you and explain to you just, you know, what the uh, conditions mean so you understand everything. 
Yeah, I agree. And Mark, you know, one of the things I always encourage people, they should use professionals in this. This is the biggest asset normally that they own. You know, using a professional, they may look at it and say, you know, I'm paying three to 5% commissions, but at the end of the day, they can actually save themselves a lot of money. Mark, if our listeners want to reach you, what is the best way for them to do that? You can go to our website, realestatelawyers.ca. So that's a simple way to reach me. I have a direct phone number, 416-702-2499. And I even have a toll-free number that they can call me at, which is 1-888-876-5529. I am very uh, available and very willing to help anyone do a real estate transaction. Excellent. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I greatly appreciate it. Hopefully we'll have you on again in the near future. Thank you very much, Todd. Have a great day. And folks, when we come back, we're going to be talking to a home inspector. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. It was great having Mark Wiseletter on from realestatelawyers.ca. You know, uh, Mark is a true professional, been in the industry for years. Um, But I got to tell you, I loved his advice about offering out the idea of a third-party manager when talking about investment real estate. Of course, one of my favorite topics in the world being the simple investor that I am. And so, you know, great advice. And speaking of buying investment properties. Remember, coming up March the 30th, we have our first simple seminar of the year. I think we're almost full, but we still have some more space left. And that is March the 30th. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. And we're going to be talking a lot about investment real estate throughout the year. Of course, at our seminar, we're going to help you out to be able to understand who makes the best tenant, where you should be buying investment real estate. And of course, I'm going to be letting people know about some of our upcoming developments. We've got some new ones coming up this spring. It's going to be very, very exciting. So don't miss out. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com today to register for March 30th and our first simple seminar of the year. Now, One of the most important things when buying a property course is making sure you get a home inspection. Now, it doesn't matter if you're in competition or not, you still should get a home inspection. You know, you don't want to do the buyer beware idea going in blindfolded. So joining me today is Gary Hurd from GDHI Home Inspection Limited. And welcome to Simply Real Estate, Gary. Hi, Todd. Thank you. Just to kind of, you know, get the ball rolling. We talk about home inspections all the time. It's something as a realtor for 20 years, I told people you must have a home inspection, but what A, first, makes a good home inspector and B, what makes a good home inspection? Best thing would probably for me to give a little bit of background on home inspectors. As you may or may not be aware, we're not licensed and therefore anyone can call themselves a home inspector. So it's kind of the first red flag, buyer beware. There are a lot of great home inspectors out there. So, you know, the buyer has to do their due diligence in asking probably the following questions. Because it's not licensed, there are a number of things that the inspector may or may not have. So in my opinion, the first thing that the, the inspector should have is obviously certified as a home inspector, meaning that they have taken training in a home inspection certification course. These courses aren't going to tell them how to build a house. Uh, what they're going to do is tell them how to go through the process of conducting a proper home inspection. So 
So that is, that's important, but it's, again, it's not going to give them a lot of background in home uh, construction. The second thing the home inspector should have is thermal imaging. Thermal imaging is a new technology. It's been around for a while. Um, it, it allows an inspector to find uh, what I would call hidden defects in the house, water intrusion. It does not find water. It's a surface temperature reading device, but it helps point the inspector where the problem could be, and then they can do further testing. Uh, the third thing, in my opinion, they should have is mold certified. So if an inspector goes into a house, he's not mold certified, um, he's going to possibly find mold, and all he can say is, is, is say in the report that it's possible more mold, and further evaluation or inspection should be done by a mold specialist. So the problem with not having all those three, the customer is looking at costs. So now they have to call in a mold specialist and probably another $400 just for the mold specialist to walk in the door. So if the inspector has all those three certifications as a minimum, uh, then, then the buyer should be able to get most, if not all, the answers during the home inspection. The second part of it, and we're seeing, is inspectors are charging additional fees to do thermal imaging. They're charging additional fees to do mold inspection. My way of thinking is you can't do the inspection without those certifications. So I know in my company, there are no additional charges and they are all part of the home inspection. So just to, just to, yeah. you know, throw it out there, Go ahead. we always encourage people to talk to a few people. Is that best? Like interview a few home inspectors? Absolutely. Uh, and the other thing is to don't be afraid to ask for their certifications because a lot may say that they do thermal imaging but they're not a thermographer. They've never taken the course. And it's, it can be very dangerous in the hands of an inspector that has no idea of what he's reading. So things that are insulation voids, he could be calling water. Where there's water, there's mold, and it just goes on and on. So the inspector, I've always said, an inspector's job is not to scare any home buyer away from a perfectly sound house. And, and the difficulty is defining minor deficiencies and major Every house, even brand new houses, will have minor deficiencies. What we're looking for are major deficiencies. The minors may or may not be listed, uh, nail pops and tape lists and so on and so on. Uh, so, the, you know, the importance of the home inspection is really to look at major deficiencies and kind of the minors are kind of just a plus uh, to list them. But some people spend far too much time on the minor deficiencies. And again, at the end of the day, uh, the home inspection report shows two, three hundred minor deficiencies. The buyers walk from the home because they just think it's overwhelming. So you you have to be real sensitive, and you have to know your buyer. Well, um, one of, one of the, one of the things that uh, when yep. when you do get home inspections, of course, is the ability of the home inspector to explain to the buyer what they're facing as well. You know, I, I, I've worked with, you know, hundreds of home inspections over the years. And one of the things I recognize is that really good home inspectors, you know, they don't use scare tactics where, you know, they, they, they are, they're, they're very knowledgeable. They explain, they understand costing of things. For instance, you know, if they need a new furnace, the idea of what a furnace range should cost, you know, uh, a new roof, things like that. They have an understanding of the actual trades in the industry to be able to advise the client roughly what they're looking at. Is that, is that a format that you believe in following? Yes, absolutely. You kind of hit it right on the head. We can't give definite pricing because it depends. Are they buying a Cadillac furnace? Or are they buying the bare bones 90% you know, uh, high efficiency? 
our job is to provide some guidance, definitely technical support, and uh, to help the buyer understand what the overall conditions structurally and internally of the house. The reality is the majority of houses are sound. They all have deficiencies. And for one person, a total of $10,000 deficiencies may not be an issue when you're buying a million-dollar house. And they, whether they take that in consideration in the offer or not, you know, if there's five, if it's a bidding war, they basically don't. To another person, $1,000 may be too much. It's a difficult question to answer, but what you want to do, and again, I'll go back to without, you know, scaring the customer off, is to explain it in a technical manner in layman's that they understand and they can make the right decision at the end of the day. One of the things I've, I've always recognized is, you know, good home inspectors present the facts, not just an opinion. And the facts normally win out because, again, if you've got a problem with the foundation, major water issue, the facts are there, you can show it, and then you know how much it's going to cost. And facts are very important. Now, one of the things that a lot of people I don't think are aware of is the time that it should take for a home inspection. What is the home, the average home inspection? If we take a look at, let's say, an average property of 2,500 square feet, call it, if we're looking in Toronto anywhere from 30 to 70 years of age, what is your average timeline to be able to do a home inspection? A couple of factors. If you have a customer that's asking a lot of questions, they, you know, they, they just kind of, they're going into the home. They want to know, you know, if it possibly needs some renovations. So they're just asking general questions about things regarding the renovation. But the average one should be two to three hours with the report um, done at the end of the inspection. Some um, send the report later. I know with my company at the end of the inspection, the report is done and it allows the buyer and the agent to move forward uh, at the end because sometimes the way the timeline's at now, uh, you know, that day may be the, the last day of offer. So um, I would say two to three hours. I know some can take five hours. It's almost too little is not enough. And too much it should be questioned as well. Right. If we, if we, I know this is, and, and sorry to put you on the yep. spot, but people need to know what costs are like for home inspections. You know, you, you've, you've actually presented a very, you know, I would say in-depth style of home inspection with thermal, with mold, with everything that people are supposed to be looking for. What is the average cost of a home inspection? Okay. For the average cost with my company, it's 475. That includes the thermal imaging scan and the mold inspection if needed, or if any mold is detected, the only additional cost would be any laboratory testing. Uh, most people can get a up to a $75 discount through the web or through a referral. So the reality is it's, it's pretty close, if not $400 plus tax. Uh, and that's up to about 24, 2,600 square feet. If there's multiple units in it, I charge an additional uh, $50 because actually it's two units, not one. And we're running into today, a lot of people have converted their basements into a, an apartment or a rental. So you're really, again, two washrooms, two kitchens, and so on and so on. So, uh, yeah, and excellent. again, the flag should be, if somebody's charging you 200, I would question <laughs> it. If somebody's charging 800, I would question it. So it's kind of like the 400 is kind of rate, I would say it would I think be it's, the average, if not yeah. slightly low. In the industry, I think I think you're bang on with your analysis yeah. there. Gary, if people want to reach you, what is the best way for them to do that? Okay, I've got a website they can reach me at, but I will give them my uh, business number. It's 416-346-0557, or they can reach me on my web at www.gdhinspect.com. 
Well, listen, Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. We greatly appreciate it. And by all means, hopefully we can have you back on in the near future. Absolutely. Please call me again. Like we've only touched the corners of home inspections and what customers should be aware of. And I think it's important that they know what they're getting into, but ask lots of questions. Thank you so much, Gary. So folks, that pretty much wraps it up for this week. But hey, listen, make sure you join me next Saturday at 4 p.m. I'm going to open up the phone lines. We're going to have another free for all right here on Simply Real Estate. So for all of us here, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.